Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes uncomfortable secrets of category creation in the B2B software space. On this week's episode, we have Brendan Cam, CEO and co-founder of Thanks, a modern gratitude and gifting platform, and David Cherry, CEO and co-founder of Arcade, an employee engagement platform. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Uh, my name is Gil Alush. I'm the founder and CEO of Metadata. This is Category Creation Podcast. Uh, very excited to have with me two wonderful guests, David and Brendan. Um, David, maybe we'll start with you. Maybe you can introduce yourself briefly about yourself and your company. Sure. G'day. My name is David Cherry, the co-founder and CEO of Arcade. I'm down here in the sunny state of Texas. Uh, and as you can probably tell, I'm not from the sunny state of Texas, a uh, little further south, a little further down under. Uh, and at Arcade, we help companies uh, optimize the performance engagement of their uh, sales and service people. So we do that by integrating with the tools they use and then running gamified micro incentives for the employees in real time to keep them focused on the right behaviors that drive success for the company. Cool. It's great to be here, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> great to have you. Thank you for that uh, background. Brendan, uh, you're next. Yeah, so I'm Brendan Cam, I'm co-founder and CEO of a company called Thanks. Uh, I'm actually just outside of Nashville, Tennessee right now. And Thanks is about, uh, we basically empower users to invest in their business relationships and to do that using gratitude and appreciation and sending little small gestures of appreciation. Awesome. Both really interesting technologies. Uh, so gamifying training and sales and, and other processes and then uh, giving thanks and creating a relationship on a more, maybe more uh, impromptu ad hoc versus just like a program and advocacy. Uh, these are things that probably Metadata could really take advantage of. I'm interested to learn more, but before we get started, you poured your drink. Let's do the first cheer. Cheers. Happy Friday. Thanks for joining. This is cool. <laughs> Cheers. Ah, yes. Fridays are the best, huh? <laughs> My favorite day of the week. It's a day you can be productive, but you've literally got the whole weekend ahead of you. It's the that best. is yes, 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 yes. And I don't, I don't work on on between. I don't work on Shabbat. So before, between Friday to Sunday, I really don't look at the email, which is the only time I don't look at the email. I've I've done a test before where uh, I'm, you know, I I I sinned and I broke that rule a few times. And every time I broke that rule, I paid the price. Like things. You know, shit hit a fan because I got involved. And uh, I tried a few times not, you know, like, all right, don't respond to this email, even if you really want to, or don't, don't check or don't respond to the WhatsApp. You know, I check WhatsApp on the weekend. Yeah. And I didn't. And things, you know, magically resolved themselves. Uh, just yeah. by me not getting involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the pyromaniac that's trying to put out fires. It's just like, you, you know, sometimes you make it worse, but. That's a good principle to have, I think, like having that kind of Sabbath mentality of taking t like rest because it also helps you not only screw things up even more, but also, you know, prepare your, your mentality for the week ahead. And uh, so I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I didn't always have it. Um, I learned it from, from a founder and uh, 
he really has been a strong like iron law i haven't i haven't broken it since uh, you know time to spend with family and just like we don't work like there's we work all the time anyway so yeah. it's nice not to work not officially anyway who was it well, that like running a startup's really cool you know because you get to pick which 80 hours in the week you work <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so it's very true <laughs> yeah it is very true it's exactly true uh cool well this podcast you know it started as a way for me and for metadata to learn about category creation and how do you start a category and how do you how do you define it how do you talk about it when you do something different and um correct me if i'm wrong but i think both of you are doing something very different and unique um maybe uh brendan maybe you can start us over tell us um category creation i know we hear a lot about it we read books uh it's almost being forced upon uh, I think for founders, CEOs, sometimes CMOs, everyone wants to create a category so that we reinvent the game. Uh, but outside of all these cliches and, and, and rules, Silicon Valley rules and startup rules, how do you feel about category creation in relation to your company, to things? Yeah, I think for me, I certainly didn't go about setting out to do it, right? Which is probably more common. You do hear occasionally someone say, you know, oh, we went in thinking we're going to make the category. Um, I don't think that was the case. I think we went in thinking, um, there's a market here, right? And maybe it's shifting a little and it's sort of in this gifting space and, you know, account marketing space. And as we got into it though, I just, I found myself almost fighting it uh, and being like, no, we're not that, right? This is about frequent little things that are gonna really be investments in your relationship. Not, hey, here's a bottle of wine because we closed the deal. This is, hey, I know you're busy. I thought I'd send you a cup of coffee. I know it's raining, here's an Uber ride, right? Something that says, I'm thinking about you. And so, uh, the category creation thing almost came organically because we just kept saying, no, no, that's not us. No, don't use us that way. And we realized even how our customers, and that's really where it came from, were saying, no, we, well, it doesn't come even come out of that budget, right? We're going to use thanks out of our T&E budget. It's to take the place of, you know, that $500 dinner. We're going to send 50, 60 thanks instead, and we get a better sort of return on our investments and our relationships in that. Um, and so that's when we started to realize, hey, wait, this is a little bit different. This isn't how it's typically been done. Um, and so we really leaned in on that. And that's how we ended up sort of defining ourselves a little differently and realizing no one's really doing what we're doing. Um, and so I think it came, it kind of almost came intrinsically and internally from our, our customers and our, our people at the job versus, uh, you know, I, I've heard people say it's um, external. It could be that they're looking for, you know, someone from Forrester to kind of make it relevant or whatever. And that's just, that's not how we kind of approached it. It just kind of happened. <laughs> nice. It's interesting how you said, uh, you know, we realized we're actually doing it from a different budget items than, than, the, than the previous one. I had Joe Chernoff here, the, the same of Pendo, and he told, he told me, you know, you know that you're in a new category versus an existing one if you're a new item in the budget or an existing one. For him, it was one of the, one of the rules. David, I, I, what, do you, what do you think about that? I, I see you smile. Do, do you also feel like you're, you're taking a new budget item? <laughs> yeah, it's been one of the things I think it's like, it's kind of a bane to your existence. Like, cause category creation in a sense, like you have this blue sky to go, you know, the world's your oyster. Uh, but you also have very few people that actually understand what the heck you do. <laughs> and so there's like this educational element you have to factor into, you know, your growth model and, and you, the way you approach the market and everything. And so part of what I think I've been trying to do is, really understand what is instead of trying to make a leap in innovation for organizations, what's the step, you know, like 
I'm sure like when the CRM first came out with like Salesforce say the first step was like people had Excel and they were managing their customer databases on Excel. It's like, okay, what are companies doing now that is like, it's similar to what we do, but we, we kind of level that up in a sense. And so um, we were originally another budget item and it was a really tough thing to sell. And it, it still is in some cases, it's still, you know, you're obviously trying to carve that out. And so you have to make a bigger case for ROI. You have to have really true, like strong champions internally. Um, what we started to do was like, okay, what are they doing today that they already get? And then how do we help them see that this is a step in like leveling that up? And we found that that was in their spiff budget that they already, they're already spending money on sales contests, already spending money on like incentives for their employees. Okay. That's the budget we want to tap into. And that's what we want to help them see is the step in innovation. So I think to, to Brendan's point, it's, it's somewhat, you know, you don't set out to do it. <laughs> I think by nature of a startup, most startups are unique or they're new. They're a new way to do things. Um, but ideally you have something that's, you know, people have been trying to solve your, the problem you solve. They're trying to do that already with other things. That's kind of what you want to, you know, align yourself with so that it's not such a, a huge leap. Well, and it takes so long to get even fit, right? And like the product isn't how you originally envisioned it's typically not what ends up being the successful product, right? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> how do you define a category from the start if you can't even really define your product? You know, you think yeah. you do and you can't. So it's, uh, it kind of has to come naturally in some ways. Yeah, I agree with that. You're just trying to solve a problem, really. You know, like for me, it was just, I was in a retail store uh, and I was really good at my job when I was do, like trying <laughs> and I would, but I wasn't trying that often because I didn't feel like that extra motivation or the impetus to go over and above. And that resulted in, you know, me just completely, you know, missing the mark a lot of the times. And so we built arcade to make work more palatable for ourselves. And then that kind of spawned into, okay, well, actually there's lots of people that have this problem. So, you know, let's go figure out how to solve it. That's interesting. So, um, it's, it's fascinating. Both of you said, you know, we didn't set up to, to start a category. I had Chris here uh, from uh, the CEO of Sendoso. And he was one of the only people who told me, oh, yeah, I totally planned on creating a category before I started a company. Uh, and I was like, shit, like, I don't think I heard this before. And he told me, yeah, I, I you know, I raised a lot of money. I knew it's going to be different. I didn't want to I didn't want to compete with like the PFLs of the world. We're doing something completely different. So we worked on it from day one. Uh, and I thought, okay, like, okay, this, that's a different approach. Uh, I, I also didn't, um, like you didn't, didn't, I honestly didn't even know what category creation was when I started the company just in full transparency. So, uh, you know, like we're going to edit now, but it's, it's, it's different. Were you your own David, like you were saying, like I was trying to solve my own problem. Were you your customer in the past? Like, were you the one looking for, uh, for, for gamification and, and, and work for, work for decades? <laughs> Well, I think like to that end, I didn't even know the word gamification uh, when I started. Uh, someone told it to me. I said, oh, that kind of makes sense. Um, and then I learned that it's actually a dirty word in Silicon Valley, <laughs> or at least it was when we started. It's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, the trough of disillusionment was very real for a lot of these. <laughs> um, so, you know, but I think what, you know, I was, yeah, we were like, we were, well, we were just in a retail store trying to rethink how do you run the... The, the leaderboard, like the sales contests were like monthly and it's the same like top three people that always win. And they're like, it's just the same thing day in and day out. It's almost as, uh, you know, monotonous as the job itself, right? And so it was like, okay, well, how do we like make that more fun? 
And I grew up, you know, in that generation of instant gratification, you know, video games and like, you know, so like that to me was like, okay, well, why don't we just make it more frequent? That's one way to make it more fun. Why don't we make it more accessible? So like more people can win more often. Um, You don't have to win more. You can just win more often. Right. And so that's kind of how it started. And it literally was on an Excel spreadsheet in store. Like we were just, you know, created um, you know, mini games basically. And every day kind of had different things that we did and, and it worked, man. Like people, employees loved it. We had a lot of fun. We went from being in the bottom 10% to the highest selling store in the, the company. And that was like the genesis of like, Oh my gosh, this is, this actually works. You know, if it can be done well, then I think like there's a whole journey of like, for me, at least I moved countries and then cities and, you know, there's a whole journey of like figuring out, well, how the heck do I now make this into a solution? How do I make it into a category? And that's like, I think the the nuts and bolts of it, but yeah, we were our own customer to begin with. Um, and that's why, you know, sorry to kind of elongate this, but that is why I also like stay stuck at it. Like, and I think that that's part of it was like, when you know, you just know, and you know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that this works, you know, it's like going to be successful. It kind of keeps you through the troughs and like the difficult times in startup life um, to, to make it happen. Well, it also sounds like you're having fun with it. Right. So at least then you're like, Hey, if it doesn't work, at least I'm having a good time doing something. Right. So, totally. Well, in the moment, yeah. You find yourself while you're going through the pain, I think early in a startup and, and yes, that can be a big piece of it. Yeah, hundred percent. And like we, you know, and then do you, I'm sure you use it. You you know, you use met, you know, your metadata to like run your team and make them more successful. And you use thanks to like get more customers, right? We do the same thing. It's like we in Australia we say drink your own bathwater. You know, <laughs> that's what we do. It's like now we use Arcade, uh, and it's awesome because then we get that kind of buy-in from our team. You know, I, like our mission is to be the reason over a million people are more successful at work and it starts with the employees in our, in our company. And so I think like that has also been really good is to have a product that you can also use yourself. Fascinating. You said a few things that, that, that bring me ideas. First of all, uh, drinking your own bathwater. <laughs> uh, not that one. Uh, <laughs> I had, uh, shit. What, um, Sahil, Sahil from Bravado was talking about having, I think a million people, I don't know if you know Bravado, is like they're trying to create a, a community for salespeople. Okay. You're saying, uh, I want to, to get to having a million people, maybe if it's 5 million people around the world, I don't remember the number anymore, but uh, salespeople and significantly increase their career and make them happier. And I think maybe uh, if you're not working with them already, he, he, they have a community of, of, of sales folks. And I, it, it sounds like the, your product is very, it's very good for sales folks. So uh, yeah. maybe a David and Sahil intro is... Uh, related is 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 in place here but i'll send a follow-up email after this with some action items and sounds great yes your follow-ups <laughs> uh you also mentioned uh you're using your product which i try to use metadata fyi um for a couple of years after i when i started um, the company and it didn't work uh because we were not the right customer for ourselves until recently until the budget was there until we had the right stack until we had the creative content whatever is our icp criteria uh, we try to drink our own Kool-Aid or whatever, you know, drink bath, whatever, but you, you use your own idiom, yep. <laughs> but it didn't work, you know? And recently, like a year ago, we started using Metadata and it's amazing, which also made us, it made clear that we shouldn't be working with everyone. Like there are some companies that really are outside of our, our own ideal customer profile. Uh, so, so it's not going to work. Um, 
Interesting. Yeah. You know, you also talked about, you know it when you know, who was it? Uh, Nick Mehta, the CEO of Gainsight was here and he was talking about all the hurdles, all the, you know, adversity, talking to investors and they saying like, eh, what is customer success? There, there is no, it's like just use Salesforce or just use this, just use that. And, you know, I told him like, what kept you going? You know, because yeah, we struggle with this, right? I don't know about you, but not everyone believes you all the time, right? That's part of the founder journey. Like many people are like, you're out of your mind, dude. Like you go, <laughs> go work back as a salesperson, go back to marketing, you're, you can make more money like that. And you have your conviction. Uh, when I asked Nick, what, what, you know, how did you get back to your, how did you maintain your conviction with all those no's? And tell me, I went back to basic. I had a few rules or a few elements that I kept testing and monitor. Like for example, one of the things he monitored is the number of uh, people with customer success in their job titles or their openings on the companies, which get, gave him the, the proof. Like every time someone said something, he would go back. Like how many people are advancing their careers because of Gainsight, because they're making customer success a thing? Do, huh. you, um, do you feel like you have something like that, Brendan or, or, or David? Like some, some element that you go back to prove yourself, I know I'm doing the right thing here, but just to make sure I'm going to check with reality to see a few things, just to, just to guarantee that this is, this is happening. So I have a, um, it's like my, my secret sauce of how we've been able to become a category creator. Um, and it goes back to a decision we made early on. It was actually difficult at the time. and seems like a no-brainer now for us. But we don't, um, we don't charge like a SaaS fee or have a contract or anyone can use thanks. And there's levels where people can, you know, buy into higher features or whatever. But generally speaking, we said, look, if this is really going to be everybody spreads gratitude to build relationships, then it should be available. And so people can download an app, they can go to the website, they can start using it and they just pay as they go, right? And, and so the validation for me and the thing that I realized started happening, you know, we're talking about using our own products, which we certainly do, but when others started using it and that started resulting in that flywheel of incoming business. So especially when I have a few big name clients that start sending out thanks, the recipients of those come in and go, hey, I just got this from large company X. I want to do it for my company, right? And so I've got this whole almost two, two rows of business, the enterprise side, and then all this SMB and even individual real estate agents, insurance agents, but a lot of them have come in because they've received the product. So they've experienced that feeling of, you know, the smile you get when you're like, oh, wow, that was really thoughtful. Oh, I want to make my customers feel that way. So yes. it's built upon itself. And that's the thing that's really helped us. You know, you talk about trying to get on a line item. It's a lot easier when someone goes, well, I don't know where this fits in my budget, but I know I need it. So I'm going to carve something out. And so that's how you can start to create the category that way because people are asking for it. And that had a lot to do with, you know, how, how we basically put the product to market. Now on the flip side, as you guys probably know, there's a lot of investors who are like, wait, you're not. Yeah, I was about to ask. Keep moving, keep moving, right? They don't want to hear it. I'll tell you in recent years, it's gotten a little, people have become a little more interested in some of the transactional. Um, but early on, man, there were people who were like, wow, I'm, how are you going to make it task? And I'm like, maybe I will, but right now I, kind of like this flow and the way it's going and it's growing. So, you know, good for the customer, not necessarily for a lot of investors. That's trade-off. Interesting, interesting. And did you, did you start like that or did you make the change some, one day? So very, very early. So we started the company 2016, beginning of 2016. And I remember the original sort of horrible looking slide deck that we had. I mean, real garbage. Uh, but it had your traditional, your setup fee, right? I came from a SaaS background selling. Uh, it's a setup fee and it'll be a recurring monthly and all these things that look great on paper. And it was actually uh, one of my now investors and my earliest investor who looked at me is like, this should be available for everyone, 
It was like, Shit, they said it to me. <laughs> and he's like, that's great. It wasn't, like, it wasn't a big discussion. It wasn't anything. He's like, just think about it. This should be available for everyone. Was that an angel, Brendan? Uh, so it's actually, he would call himself a, a, a new VC, but it's, it's family office. So okay. the way I define family office, at least, and that's who I've now had as my investors would be people who don't have LPs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not, yeah. they don't need to report those SaaS metrics out to others. They just need to look at the idea. Um, and that's maybe a different approach we've taken to kind of purposely going for partners like that versus, um, you know, there's advantages to some of those, especially bigger names in the VC, but it changes what you can do with your business. I think. Totally. Um, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Like I think having that, um, you know, they, you don't have, they don't have like a thesis that you have to fit into, right. right? Like, so that they can have a, you know, a candid, oh, why don't you just make this available for everybody? And I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's courageous. Opening up the floodgates like that and removing the contract, uh, that's awesome. I mean, it does make it a lot more real uh, if you can, yeah, I don't see yeah. that ever. I, I don't see any of the VCs uh, that I have being cool with that, but uh, I, dude, that, that's, a, that's a definitely a validation, like a true validation. If someone wants, if they consume your, your product, the consumer service because they want to, not because they're contractually obligated to. Right. And we do get there, right? With the larger clients, they inevitably come back. Sure. Say, yeah, we need the contract, but it's always bottoms up. Not always, generally bottoms up. We'll have people, maybe they got it, whatever, they heard about it, they start using it. Now there's 10, 20, 30 users at a company. And now they come back and say, hey, wait, you know, we should sign up for five hundred salespeople. So it's a true kind of, you know, almost has an expand. You know, but it's worked for us. Interesting. Um, going back to category creations, you know, one to ten. One, you don't know what it, what it means. I know what both of you do, so you're definitely higher than one. Ten, you already created, dominated the category. Where do you think your companies are in that path? Um, for me, I, I would say probably like a, a six to seven. Um, you know, in that like, it, well, okay, depending on the vertical, because I think one of the things we learned early was, you know, we wanted to define this new category called performance engagement, which is this intersection between the qualitative world of employee engagement, which is like kudos and recognition and gratitude and kind of all the feel goods and the quantitative world of performance management, which is really dry, hard to implement, hard to do really well, but super mission critical for a business to drive performance. Um, and so we wanted to kind of define this and what we wanted to do, like what we still do, this is our mission is to like be performance engagement for every operational business unit. So it's like every team, like we had everything from H&R block, tax accountants to like, you know, legal paralegal firms to call centers to realty to autom- like the whole slew of things. But really we're only as good as the integrations and the data we have to, to drive those performance and what we found was we were spread super thin and super shallow. And like, we just weren't able to like get any, you know, sustainable, repeatable, predictable traction. So we uh, adjusted to be vertical centric. So in a, like we focus on one key vertical, we integrate with all the mission critical tools in that vertical and we sell that becomes our ICPs, all the customers that use those tools. Um, so within those verticals, we're like a six and seven within the other verticals, we're like a two, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'd say like, we're, we're doing really well there. We still got world, you know, we've still got to work to do to, to get true like vertical dominance, but, um, you know, that's where I would say we were at. And, uh, just to, to continue on that before we move to Brandon, what do you think is the, the highest priority task you had in front of you, you have in front of you to either move the needle from two 
to seven, eight on the other ones or, or to get to the nine or 10 and tell me which one is, is, is more important to you. Do you want to be like nine and 10 on the vertical or do you want to be, you know, six or seven horizontally? Uh, I want to be 10 and 10, uh, you know, ideally. <laughs> I, I think you, you have to prioritize. So what we are saying is, okay, let's, let's show that we can do this because as a vertical-centric go-to-market strategy, um, that is 100% out like the way to go. So let's make sure that we can get go-to-market fit in every single vertical we tackle. And every vertical is different, right? So we've now built out the sales team. We've now got like, traction going we're, we've like hit some of the key milestones in terms of revenue um so for for us right now it's like let's scale that out and capture those markets because they are blue blue sky markets for us we have a lot of competitive advantage we're first to market we have the key integrations um but then for the kind of wider big picture vision um uh, you know what and this kind of goes back to um what we're looking to like as a category creator how do you align yourself with something because otherwise you have to educate the entire market so that either the, the entire market catches up to like knowing that they have a problem that you solve and that you're the market leader which is a long <laughs> drawn out process um or you can kind of dovetail on what does the what do your customers already know and invest in and already have and they already know and invest in and have employee engagement software so what we've realized is their biggest pain point is though that employee engagement software doesn't drive the, the bottom and top line, right? And so we're like, okay, well, we do that. So why don't we focus on helping companies like deploy a really seamless employee engagement solution? And then let's sell that performance side to this to the operational business units, like the sales and the service teams, um, who, by the way, interestingly enough, are already using their employee engagement tools, like their recognition and rewards, for driving sales it's just all manual <laughs> so um so that's to me is like that's kind of that transition to like the broader market is like solving a like positioning our solution like around something they that the the broader market already knows it's already in like the latest stages of adoption but and then introducing that kind of new uh category uh to those customers as we capture that market share so those are the the two key priorities but you get the results you 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 crack the code of actually getting their getting the engagement up getting the results up and then you're you're tailing into that existing educated part of the market with the me measuring those results and and managing those results 100 percent um 10 and 10 good luck with that cheers to your warm warm gin that's a trooper thank you all right so brand your turn uh where are you one to ten yeah i think uh i think i've just slid into five um, and I say that because I think we're, we're literally halfway there. Um, I do believe you need fully internal buy-in that everyone truly believes this is the thing, the category, the, the new thing that we're driving. And I, I think we're there and have kind of defined that internally, but I don't think we've done any of it externally. Um, like I said, we've got customers kind of telling us this is new and different, but, but in terms of really putting the marketing message behind it, or you know, uh, analyst recognition or anything like that. That's that's me and my focus actually over the next several months. Um, you know, really putting that out there and making sure it's well defined. Um, and this really comes from again one of the another investor. It's a gentleman. His name is Brian. He's just a brilliant guy. Um, and he kind of looked me in the eye, right, and was just like, you know, you keep we keep talking about no direct competitor and this different budgets it's coming out of and this new way of sort of thinking about these things. 
um, but what is that? You know? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, what is it? And that was what, that was my light bulb of like, it's a category, right? It's category creation. And you hear these things and I, I had read play bigger like everyone else, but like for whatever reason, didn't connect it to like, that's kind of what thanks is doing. And so this has been relatively new for me. You know, you spend the first couple of years, we, our first full year in market was 2018. So you got a two years proving out, Hey, look, we can drive revenue. We can grow at a really rapid rate. And now it's like, well, wait, there's something bigger to talk about. Um, and so, you know, five is like, I might even be pushing it at five. I got a ways to go. <laughs> That's great. You know, someone, uh, last week, uh, one of the CEOs who's done it like three or four times, I think he told me he created, you know, he created like four or five companies and he started new categories three or four times successfully. And he told wow. me, yeah, Gil, it takes like three to four years. And I'm like, oh no, that's so <laughs> freaking long. Really? Three to four years? Like break it down for me. And yeah. so you're taking a few months. I'm like, all right, that's great. Maybe I know, to be honest, I think it, it is possible to do it uh, faster. Uh, but, but you know, maybe a true category, I guess the 10 and the ones, they have different meanings to different people. How do you, for you, Brennan, how do you, what is the, you know, what's the event that happens? You wake up in the morning or before you go to sleep, something happens and you're like, yeah, I created a category. What is, what did that event look like? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, 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 I want to stop doing it, but I still do it where I kind of get the list of like all the new users in a day and, uh, and I'll look through it and I'll see the, the sort of first thing that someone new sent. Right. And I, I swear to God, every day, there's like a new thing that I would have never thought of, of how someone could use thanks or think of thanks. And, and I think that's part of it, right? Because I've got, um, you know, your big distributed sales teams at these large enterprises, but then I've got a car dealership that's using it because someone took a test drive. Um, and I've got, you know, an insurance agent because they had a quote and I've got someone who's saying sorry because something went wrong uh, at their like retail store, right? It's like a fast food restaurant. So all these things that I never really imagined um, as we thought about thanks, because I obviously just thought about myself and my experience, right? I don't want to have to do, you know, our software takes care of the expense reports and compliance and all those things. And like, really the impotence behind thanks was, I don't want to do that stuff. It's really annoying. and actually stops me from building relationships. Cause I'm like, I don't want to have to do four hours of expense reports. So I always had this, like, that's the thing we're going to solve. And then you start seeing how people come up with ways to use it or want to connect to the APIs and do it through their own software. And you're like, man, this is really cool. Like there's a lot more out there than I would have thought of. Now I run into the problem David mentioned, which is the same thing of sounds great on paper that there's a billion different uses and verticals and all these things, but you can get lost in that too. And so it's also the thing that keeps me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> Good and bad. How about you, David? We, we connected, I think, early on, Brandon, yeah. um, you know, because we have a lot of overlap, right? So we have, and, and it's funny because you guys, well, it's not funny, it's ironic uh, serendipitous, you have the same sort of model, right? Where you're rewarding behaviors of customers and you're empowering the salesperson to do that externally. And we're kind of, you know, doing the same thing internally for the salesperson, um, which I love. I think for me, um, for me, it's a similar thing. It's, uh, so it's, it's twofold for me. It's the customer spends, uh, buys more reward credit to put into the platform to, to reward their employees. Cause that means that they, it actually is working. <laughs> you know, people don't spend money where it like, they might try something and spend money, but they don't, they don't retry something. They don't rebuy something if it's not working for them. Right. And so that Absolutely. kind of that purchase, when those purchases come through, it's like, 
okay, this is awesome. But I think like for like the aha moment of the categories, like when people create games around the most random things to drive behaviors within the workplace, like one of the things I never really thought of was, you know, we start with like incentivizing performance. So we're, we're integrated with the CRM or the point of sale, depending on the business. Um, but what was really crazy was when we actually had SaaS companies that sold into, like we had the same customers, they sold into the same mutual, mutual customer. Um, SaaS companies coming to us and saying, hey, can we integrate with Arcade so that like we can incentivize the mutual users to use our product better? You know what I mean? So suddenly we had like these companies coming to us and like integrating so that like we had more tools that like, like that the man, the, the business that we were selling to could like motivate better actions in these other platforms. Um, and so that was like the moment for me of like the, uh-huh, of, like, wow, we've made a category here of like, suddenly we've got all these platforms coming to us wanting to integrate with us so that we can like help motivate better actions in their platforms. Um, that was, I think the, the special moment that kind of like the, the penny dropped. Cheers. We're going to switch uh, subjects for a second. Uh, let's finish this one. All right. I'm going to finish it. <laughs> you know, I'm out of ice, uh, Brandon, but I'm still going to drink that. Uh, no, I definitely don't want to go outside here. It's dangerous with the kids outside. I'm going to come back with, with three toddlers. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> all right let's talk a little bit about um founder journey so tell me about your worst moment so far in the journey of starting this company whoever wants to start first no one wants to start first that comes with that question <laughs> I, I can go so i am a, a little bit of an old guy for starting a company i guess um and i i had done it with my my co-founder um i had just had my second child i knew we were going to have you know have three and knew that would be in the cards so there was that risk of kind of you know well it'll be okay but we'll just kind of take this risk and my wife is a, a saint and went for it and everything. Um, and we were probably only about four months in and a couple of things fell through that we thought were coming in on the fundraising side. And I was going home that night for the conversation that, uh, you know, there's not going to be a, not going to be a paycheck. And I know you just quit your job because we had our second child, but, uh, we'll figure it out. It'll be okay. And that was literally all I could offer. Um, and then having that same conversation three months later to say, just a little bit longer, <laughs> I swear it'll be okay. Um, it was tough. It was tough. And, you know, if at any moment she had said, like, you got to go back to work, basically, I think I would have done it. I think I almost was craving it at that point, right? Like, I wanted yeah. someone to say, like, don't continue. Like, just go back to your cushy job and run, run your SaaS sales team and be fine. Um, and she didn't. She just was like, no, you got it. It's fine. You'll figure it out. Um, and we did. Right. Um, and so that, that just was always ingrained in me that like, man, if I've got someone who can believe in me like that, um, I basically owe it to her. Right. Um, that we need to make this thing work. Um, so it was a low point. But looking back, obviously, like most low points, it's something that kind of drives you and, and you learn a lot from. Mm -hmm. That's badass. I love that. That's great. And yeah, man, having someone believing in you, you know, in ways that you sometimes don't even believe in yourself is definitely very strong. Uh, best if it's your, if it's your, uh, wife or significant other, what about you, David? What was your worst moment starting, uh, starting the company? 
Man, you've got me thinking. I, I would say um, probably is, is sort of similar. Um, so I moved countries firstly. Like that wasn't a bad moment. It was an exciting moment, but it was tough. Like you don't know anybody, you don't have any networks. You're also like 15,000 miles away from your, from your family, right? Um, so I think that was tough. But the worst moment I think in recollection was uh so we just started in a similar time that brendan started and we had like i was flying in and out i didn't even have like a visa here like i had a travel visa so i had to like get on a plane every nine weeks back to australia and and come back and and every time going through customs i'm like they're gonna deny me this time for sure <laughs> like immigration like um you know but, you know, fortunately, I was able to kind of piece together a pilot with a big company here, which uh, is kind of well-renowned now because of their uh, stock prices kind of soared. Um, when it should- <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying who it is, but, you know, <laughs> um, you know, hold the line. That's all I'm saying. Um, but uh, they, you know, so we got a pilot. It went really well. Uh, and so I'd kind of raised some money on this to like get the, the team, like the product kind of built out. We, we deployed it. They had a third party independently test it. Our results were outstanding. And then basically like we were due to go live with everything um, and literally morning of launch to, to like kind of scale it out crickets. Like I couldn't get hold of the executive team I was working with over there. Like, all these things kind of started to happen. And then a day goes by, two days go by and you're like, we're supposed to be live right now. And I haven't like, like the API has been turned off. All these things happened. And like, just the worst starts, like you just start to doubt yourself. We had like less than a month runway. Like I was kind of banking on this going live to give me momentum for the next kind of bit of funding. And, and then at the same time, the two employees that I had on staff, like that was it basically like they were like breaking down because they didn't have enough money to like pay bills and they were month to month and they'd kind of like they're at the end of their tether and like I remember just like they were basically like they couldn't continue and I couldn't pay them and we were just in this kind of predicament I just like there's like this little pond close by just walked to the pond (laughs) just like kind of got lost at just like looking at the I was like what the heck am I doing you know um and dude I had to take out a mortgage to like pay and but fortunately I could like I kind of look back on that I was like that was like a I think a real moment of like like do I really want this am I really ready to do this and then like you know the fact that I could get a mortgage and I could pay that pay slip and and we were able to kind of figure it out from there um and and I actually look back on it just like Brendan does it's like that actually was a defining inflection point of like that helped me get to the next level as a as a leader but also helped the company because you know, we were able to learn a lot and from there get the momentum we needed to, to kind of go a different direction. So amazing. That was absolutely. Tough. That's, yeah. that's, that's amazing. I, you know, I'm a true believer. I remember I had a, I have a friend who is, is a good friend. He's a great friend. And also he's a, he's a mentor and advisor in the startup. He has his own startup. And he told me that every founder has to go through this like stage where you're, can't pay payroll basically and you have to he took a loan for seven hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars to pay payroll for two months and i was like are you fucking crazy what did you personal guarantee and he's like yeah i had to take the personal guarantee you know but then yeah we made it and i paid it back and it was great i got some stocks out of it it's like holy shit i hope i'll never get there and i did i got exactly the same point and you're just telling me the same thing happened 
and I really I am I am a believer now that it's uh, you know I don't know you're spiritual or whatever it is that you that you believe in. It is the universe testing you. Like, do you really want it? Are you ready for this? Are you willing to put like are you willing to like put your money where or like your mortgage where your mouth is? And uh, and then you get it because then you are ready. Otherwise, maybe you're not ready. You're just like talking a big talk. But when things get get hard, you you, you don't really want to continue. Maybe it's not the right time. So I, I, I think these are beautiful. These are beautiful moments. Uh, thanks for sharing. It's, I think it's great. And probably your team, you know, saw what conviction their, their CEO has. You know, it's not like uh, it's not yeah. like something small is going to hit us and he's going to Conviction bounce. or insanity. Either way, you know. <laughs> 100%. 50 take it. Cheers. Those are true stories. Uh, congrats. These are badass moments. Great. Cool. Now a different moment. Best moment. Best moment you had. You know the one that you took a picture, a selfie, or wrote it down somewhere and said like, "Yeah, that was. I I made the right choice. This is what I want. I'm good at this." <laughs> Brandon has that every day in the mirror. He's just like, "Yeah, <laughs> man, I am so good at this." Um, a couple, I guess, come to mind for me. There's always those arbitrary, right? The the first million, the 10 million, right? Like the, the arbitrary numbers are just nice. For whatever reason, it just hits home. It's something you can celebrate with the team. Um, I think those are great. Um, I, I, I remember kind of the first, if I'm being truthful, we launched a number of times. Um, you know, <laughs> hey, we're out in the market. Uh, well, maybe we're still in beta because we're not really... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's try this again, right? Um, and so I remember the moment when like, from like a few users to like an actual client who came in and was like, we have this event, we want to do this, you know, thing through thanks to thank our speakers and some of the attendees and stuff. Um, and we did it. And it was like, I think it was like $20,000 in the month was like the final number. And it was just like exorbitantly larger than anything I'd ever seen, right? Um, and I was like, wow, this is like a real thing. And it was, it was that selfie moment. And then it was the panic. Cause I'm like, next month's gonna go down to like 3000 because we were at 20 and it was this, this big event. And like, we're gonna be screwed and all this stuff. And I don't know why, but like after that moment, it just, it started growing, right? And it was, maybe it was just fortuitous that it happened to be that thing. And cause it didn't relate in any way, right? It was just, all of a sudden there was more people, more people, more people. Um, and it was like, now I look back and if I tell my succinct founder story, you know, we launched on that, you know, October of 2017 and like, but it was really kind of just like, that was the first time someone really used it in the way we wanted them to use it, you know? Um, and so that's like probably the moment I look back and, and there's still a client to this day. I don't even know if he knows, I hope he never listens. Cause I don't know if he knows he was the first like, you know, guinea pig on the big thing we ever did. Um, but like, uh, that's the one that means more to me than the, you know, the 10 million and the 20 million. And like, uh, that's all awesome. And we celebrated as a team, but like, that was a couple people in a room being like, Hey, look, this worked. Like we said, we built something scalable and it looks like it'll actually scale. Um, which, and it felt so, so big at the time. Right. And now it's, you know, obviously it's, you know, very different sort of level. Um, but it was, I don't know, I'll never forget that and, and what it meant to us. And then seeing it continue after that. That's cool. Congrats on that. You know, I remember talking to a, your, your thanks for sharing. I love when, when, uh, when people share truths that are the, you know, they're not the usual narrative that the bullshit narrative that you read on TechCrunch or you, you see on the, on the sastered stage, like, come on, 
I know that's not true. And uh, you, <laughs> yeah. you, just, you just shared one of those tidbits, which I appreciate. We also launched multiple times. Now I say we launched GA, you know, that word, that, that extra two letters, GA is basically my way of saying, we realized when we were supposed to launch and actually launch properly at that time. Before that, we launched a few times, but it wasn't really general availability. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, I talked to many Medina. Many Medina is, uh, is, is, a, is a CEO of outreach. And he was, uh, I talked to him a few times. I talked to many in like the worst time. I should say, you know, I, there was, I used to have an office on, uh, on 5th and Harrison uh, in San Francisco. And there was, we were right next to the, to, the, to the rooftop. And I, you know, I remember the phone calls I would make him like the worst times, you know, like ridiculous churn, like ARR dropped 40%. I'm like, Manny, like, oh, I'm not sure about this. The product hasn't kind of doesn't work, it break. It's like, Gil, I, I started my product five times. I restarted five times. Like, are you serious? Like, I swear, five times. I restarted five times. I was like, all right, you're pretty successful. So I'm going to listen to, I'm going to listen to this shit. Like, all right, you did it five times. I have, you know, I have three more to go. I have two more to go, you know? <laughs> so it's, and then it's, you get to like six and seven. And like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it means the success is going to be bigger yeah. later. Uh, that's cool. I, thanks for sharing that. What about you, David? What what was uh, your your best moment? Um, look, man, I've had you know, I kind of yeah coined this early, and it you know may relate to some people, but you know, I was like, people say it's like a roller coaster, you know, startups. I'm like, no, man, it feels like I'm in a kayak in the desert. Like, it doesn't feel like every now and then we hit a sand dune and it's fun, but like, it's just like a slog and it's sweaty and it sucks. <laughs> um and so like the the moment special for me like i think number one like so when i moved to san francisco like i bought got off the plane and i moved in like i don't care what anybody says san francisco silicon valley it has like an air about it it's like it has this kind of feeling of possibility and it really it's probably how people feel like when they land in hollywood and they're like chasing that dream of like being an actor or whatever it's like you just like there's something about san francisco and so i think moving there was like that moment of like you know we would just started basically but i just had that feeling of like anything's possible man um and i was on fourth and king so just just a little south from you but i think that honestly man like the big what one of the big moments for me was actually that that story i shared was, was the worst moment before that it was probably the worst moment because it was proceed uh uh it before that it, it preceded the the best moment we ever had which was the moment we got the feedback from the customer so this is a publicly traded customer they've rolled this out nationally they had a third party come in to a b test the product like we couldn't have afforded any of that rigor like you know as a SaaS company half the time you're just trying to figure out how do i quantify roi <laughs> how do i like actually like capture roi and feed that back to the customer in a meaningful way so like the fact that we had a customer so invested to like actually deploy our product and test it was huge. But then to the same ends, it's like, it's also like what kept me up at night for six months straight, because I'm like, they're also going to know if this doesn't work, it's going to be very clear. And I'm like, I'm at, I don't have excuses, you know, what I mean? like, like they're testing it like scientifically, you know? Um, and they came back with like crazy results. Like, and we had over 98% statistical significance that we had lifted sales by a very substantial amount. And, and it, like the data was in, it was like, this is it, man. And I remember getting that feedback. It's like, when you start a, a company, well, this is my first company, but 
I just had that sense of like, you know, it works in your heart or you, you want it to work. And I think you can have that kind of founder optimism that's, you know, veering on the side of delusionment, like, and you need to, like, you need to see the future before it happens and believe in it. Um, but it also is like kind of a reality check at times when you get feedback that's the harsh. And I think I was like prepared for like, oh crap, maybe this isn't going to work. But, you know, we got the feedback and it was like, this works. And not only does it work, it works really well. And there's like, there's no denying it. And that was such a high. And then followed by such a low. <laughs> and that's the other thing you learn. It's like, just because you make something work for a customer, doesn't mean they're necessarily going to buy it which is such a wild paradigm that like kicked me in the face right early on. Um, but anyway, that was the, that was the moment for sure. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You could make, yeah, it, it doesn't mean you win. Even if you have the best product, you know, it doesn't even mean you're going to win the market. That's, uh, totally. that's cool. congrats, congrats on those moments. Uh, shit. You, you, you said something about, uh, you know, about that, that conviction, like trying to find that balance is really hard. I think sometimes like the balance between having that conviction and, you know it's going to happen and you're going to survive as long as you need to until everyone else understands that you're right. And then, but also getting the feedback, like, uh, well, you know, like you didn't get it completely right. Like you have 30% mistake here that you have to like, I don't know, adjust your product, adjust your pitch, adjust your sales, you know, motion, what, the, what have you. And I think like to that end, man, like I think what you're doing here is a really, like it's kind of cathartic to be in a room with founders that have like gone through similar stories. Like you said, Gil, it's like you get this narrative. It's like the overnight success. And they're like, yeah, but they don't tell you about the 10 years of failure before that, right? Like they don't tell you about any of that. And there's, you know, and I think it's really important to be as founders more vocal about the truth of it and to be like engaged with community because it is kind of a lonely job. Um, and you also need other founders to ground you because you need to be super stubborn. You need to be hyper convicted, but you also need to be, like coachable and you need to be open to feedback and you need to be, you know, willing to adapt and like, you know, quote unquote pivot. Right. But you need to do that. Right. That's, that's important. And so you need to have like that, that healthy balance. And I think that comes with good community. Rich butter. You're a hundred percent right. That is, that. is exactly that. <laughs> I, I almost treat this podcast over time as like a therapy uh you know the, the more i talk to founders the better i feel you know about this this crazy you know fucking journey like it's <laughs> it's 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 uh, managing the psyche i think in a startup is is not easy i always i always tell you know new, new employees who come they ask about the culture i tell them you know this is uh a, a laboratory for growth like you know we're we're in this together you're gonna find your bottlenecks you're gonna find your achilles heels you're going to figure out what's your personally and professionally, like what's stopping you from like achieving everything you want. You know, if, if you're, if you're here to win it, you know, you can, you can really use it as a lab. And like, by the time you come out of here, you're like 10 X stronger, you know, like you're smarter. Yeah. And being coachable, that, that conviction, that conviction and balance between conviction and, and coachable is, 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 it's, uh, it's so hard to keep sometimes, you know, like you don't want to be at either end. You don't want to be like, completely maniac and just like have a conviction in la la land that is completely unrelated to reality you also don't <laughs> want to be like pushed around and every person tells you something you're like yeah great idea you just execute it and it's like a fucking terrible idea you shouldn't yeah. have taken it ever uh, <laughs> that is that is a tough balance the, the more you meet founders you know that's a good segue i want to know uh what is what is um 
what's an absolute truth that you know to be truthful, helpful, that is hidden, that is unknown, you know, that is not talked about in on the LinkedIn stories or in PR news or, or in TechCrunch or whatever, like something that you know is absolutely true, that is not common, not commonly known, and maybe even, you know, someone someone talks against it, and you know that's not true. That is definitely something I've experienced to be, to be a rule for for me for founders. Uh, either one of you, whoever wants to to start. I'll let Brendan go first because uh, it gives me time to think. <laughs> so this won't be as succinct as I'd like it to be, but I think for me it revolves in this space of. Um, the idea of needing or, or measuring success around the money raised um, and the valuation of company and that that is somehow um, directly correlated to uh, future success or even prior success from what I'm seeing. Um, and that that is some some great milestone. Um, I just find it personally strange to that like that's even like out there like we raised all this money and you're like, okay, so what? Like, but it, it doesn't mean a thing. I guess it's some form of, it goes back to the, maybe how I was opening up with like this idea of validation externally. Um, I just think you need that validation internally from your customers, not from uh, an external market or something like that. So um, I don't know. I I don't think that's necessarily universal because I think I'm not alone in in thinking that, but there's definitely this sort of dichotomy of like what that means and whether you want to raise a lot of money or not um, and how you approach that and whether you think having a high valuation is beneficial or not. Uh, you know, in terms of exit optionality and where, what you can do with the business and things. So um, that's probably one of the areas I find myself scratching my head a little and thinking that I'm on the other side of how I, when I hear other people talk about it. Um, so right or wrong, I think that's one for me where I'm like, eh, I don't know if it's universally true that raising a whole lot of money at a high valuation is necessarily always a good thing. And oftentimes I don't think it is. Um, and it's driven with other other motivations than maybe what's best for the business or the customers of the business. Nice. Well, for whatever it's worth, I publicly uh, voice that you're you are all right. You're 100 right. I think it's Silicon Valley. Sometimes it's like a self uh, self fulfilling game. You know, like yeah, the 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 VCs want you to raise as much money as you can. The stories look good, and the large amounts are good. Especially if you do a secondary, there's a personal success there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think there there is a minority that thinks and understands that customer success and you know that is the true validation and not the the valuation i do remember talking to uh i think uh, dan uh the the cro at ring central if i'm not mistaken talking about taking the bat like i was i was like you brandon i was talking about uh valuations you know it's such a shit show like sometimes you know depending on the market you get like 40x multiples good luck now spending the next two years rising up to that valuation. And they were saying, you know, it's, and it's my perspective. I'm a, I'm a super pragmatic on the conservative side, technical founder. So I'm not the 40 X multiples razor, uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I'll use the market, but I think, you know, there is a definitely a limit that is unhealthy, but they were saying, and it's a very valid point. I think it, as long as you think that your this, you know, that you're, that there is no arbitrary limit. Like you, that there is no like 50 million ARR limit that you're going to hit. If you, if you raise on a 40X multiple, but you think you're going to get there in like a year or a year and a half, you should do it. 
because you'll hit it and then you'll continue, you'll continue. If you think there's a limit, then you're right. Then the exit multiples, then the optionality uh, is changing. If you don't do it, someone else might do it, you know, and someone else might take the bet and go all in, raise $100 million, and you're like, shit, now I have 12 million, they have 100. They're just going to reduce the prices. They're going to bombard the, the market with their brand and synonym for whatever it is your category name is, and you're going to suffer. And I think there is a point for it. You know, like there is, that's again, another balance you have to figure out. Like uh, how far are you going to, you know, far into the future are you going to raise into? Yeah, it's a really good point. It's, it's, um, and I think that that's like part of like what you learn is like kind of raising money is to, to Brendan's point. It's not like we celebrate that for whatever reason. <laughs> um, cause it, I think it's a signal, I guess, like it signals are, oh, you must be really killing it, you know, but it's not necessarily true. Um, it may be that there's VCs with a thesis that is like, Hey, we want to own this market and we think we can win it with more money than, you know what I mean? So like, doesn't mean that you're necessarily hitting that, hitting that target. I think for me, the, the thing that I've learned is absolutely true. Um, is I would say, uh, and I'll do this definitely for the next company I built um, is always be raising, but not necessarily raising and that always be pitching, like pitching your product. Cause I think it comes down to those VCs you pitch, even if they think you're like, even if they say no, they say no for a reason and they get paid to literally spend their entire waking moments, like analyzing your market and analyzing your opportunity. And it's the best con free consulting you could ever get like straight up. Like I got into a hole where I decided I got so jaded early on because I didn't know anybody or have any networks. And I think maybe founders that don't have that might resonate with that, but like you, you just don't really get any, nobody believes in you. And so you just get over it. You're just like, well, screw these guys. I'm going to go build a dope company. I'm going to bootstrap this to 50 million, you know, <laughs> and that's really hard to do by the way. Um, and that's like probably not going to happen. And by the way, you end up like making a ton of mistakes and going down a bunch of rabbit holes that you could have avoided had you just been pitching. You don't have to be raising. You can be getting no's all the time, but actually use that no as like a, like, why are you saying no? Okay, cool. That helps me kind of, I don't have to agree with you, Mr. VC, but at least I can see your perspective. And that helps add another like variable into my model of like, what's the, the market that I'm going after. And the reason for that, I guess I'd take it back to like my experience is like, we hit 2020 of like, hey, we had all these customers. It's like, look at our thesis. It's, we're going to be performance engagement for every operational business unit. We've got everyone from accountants to legal firms to call centers to sales, whatever. And it was like, I had a VC, like they all said no. And they said, we like, we get it. We love that you've got all these diversity in customers, but like, we don't have conviction that you like, like you've really cracked any one of these like ICPs. You've never, you haven't like really shown that you can like repeat the sale. There's no consistency there. And that helped me like realize, oh my gosh, you're so right. Like we actually need to adjust how we're selling so we can do it better. We can have better sales efficiency. We can grow faster by being more focused on these particular ICPs instead of everybody. Um, and that was only because I got feedback from, from investors that said no. So I think, anyway, that would be, if, in a convoluted way, that would be my uh, learning. Actually, it's very much complimentary. Like, 
you're saying there's a feedback loop for VCs. They, you know, you may not need their money or you may want it and you don't get it, but still getting that conversation, always be, always pitching it, getting that always be feedback. Pitching. Yeah, yeah, always be pitching. You get that feedback loop, you know, what's at least a perceived, what is perceived as success, what is perceived as part of market fit, what is not. Totally. Well, and, and also what's, what's metrics, right? Like, so what, what are they seeing as success? Like what did they, when they hear your pitch, cause they, here's what I learned like early on. And I, and when you can afford the other part is like, this is a well-known thing, but it's the biggest, like massive learning I've had of like, you are only as good as your team, like straight up the bet, the better people you can get on board, the better you'll be like, literally that to me is like, it's a penny dropped, but I think it's, it's pretty well-known. But I think just as bringing in new teammates help you see things you didn't see before or help you like help you just give you the confidence to like take that leap of faith of an area that you're like, I don't know if I'm ready to like really cannibalize half of my customers for this PLG motion. But like somebody comes in and is like, yes, we need to do PLG. We need to go hard at this. Then suddenly you have that confidence to make that leap of faith. Same thing on the investor front of like these VCs, they're literal pay slip depends on them being successful at picking winners and they hear multiple pitches. They have a team of analysts looking at your market, analyzing your software, analyzing your strategy and their feedback for what it's worth is about as good as it's going to get uh, for you to get out of your own, like, you know, your own four walls, which you spend most of your time in. Super true. I like that. I think that's, that is, that is an absolute truth. Gents, I checked the clock and it's 2.10. It really happens when I'm having so much fun. I, like, I really checked before, I swear. Like about two minutes ago, I checked and it was 1.50. And then, you know, then I checked two minutes later, it was 2.10. So uh, I'm having a lot of fun. I'm learning a lot. Look, I wrote a bunch of uh, notes from this. Uh, I'm, eventually, I'm going to compile it into some list. But for now, it's just in the rum wet pages. <laughs> yeah. I really had a... A lot of fun talking to both of you. I learned a lot. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. Uh, do you have one thing that you want to make sure that you say before you you end this podcast? Gil, I just want to say I'm grateful for you having me on. I appreciate it. This is uh, a ton of fun, and uh, I just really enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I really enjoyed it as well. Likewise. Cheers. Like I Thanks. said, it- it's uh, it's much needed. I think. I think literally, founders should probably just do this in general. Just get on Zoom calls and have a have a chat and a have a Zoom. Wish. Let's do a meet in person. And do that. Let's do meet in person. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for joining. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and we'll tune in again. Find all of the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out. 